Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. With over 150 new and used cars to choose from, along with the full Renault commercial van range and finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. I'm just sitting here thinking on Ash Wednesday, what am I going to do next time round or Christmas this year when he's not with me? Because he is on the move, but he's with us today at the start of the Lenten season. Father Michael Cusack, it's really good to see you again. Thanks, Jerry. Always great to be here with you and the listeners. And we'll tell them more about that little intro I've just mentioned there in a few moments' time. Today is, of course, Ash Wednesday, the start of Lent. And to set the scene for our conversation, Michael, I went out and about earlier today to talk to Joe Public about Lent and what Lent is about. And I began, you know, asking people the significance or is there a significance still to this day, Ash Wednesday and Lent? Do you know it's Ash Wednesday? I do, yeah. <laughs> Are you giving up anything for Lent? No, I'm not. I Does, never did. <laughs> did you not? No, never in your life? Never. Does Lent mean anything to you? Not really, no. You're here having a few sausages and a, and, 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 and a breakfast roll. <laughs> you don't feel guilty? No. <laughs> Does Ash Wednesday mean anything to you? Yeah, you put ash on your forehead. Did you get it done today? No. I don't believe in religion. So you've given up on your faith altogether? Altogether. What about people who observe Lent, get the ashes and, you know, give up and abstain for the season? uh, That's their own prerogative. That's roughly it. Ladies, do you know what day it is today? Ash Have you got your ashes? Not yet. Are you going to get them? Yep. Do you think Ash Wednesday and Lent is important? Very. Why? It gets closer to God. Have you a deep faith? Yep. Even, you know, today, an awful lot of people I've spoken to already, they have no belief or no faith in this at all. God forgive them. Does Ash Wednesday mean anything to you, ladies? Ash Wednesday? Yes, uh, for my ashes. Are you going to get some? Are you going I to get am, ashes and today? I'm going off sweets, hopefully, for Lent. So you're giving up the sweets? Trying to. Toffees from Tesco's. <laughs> Do you think it's important to abstain? Oh, yes. We always did. Why? Well, it shows that we're going to do something good for the Lord. Everybody else is against him at the moment. A lot of people have gone uh, away from the faith. Keep the old, we still have the old bit of fish today. Do you? <laughs> we have that nearly every day. You me? love your fish, do you? Well, Be it Ash Wednesday well, or not. I like it, but we love it today anyway. Anyway, no sweets for you for Lent. Well, it's the intentions. Be a miracle if she keeps off the sweets. Will it? Yeah, most definitely. She won't make it the no, 40 days. No, she won't make it tomorrow, never mind for it. Oh my God, you hear what she's saying? Yeah, I have six packs of feathers every night, a bag of toffees. You're and addicted, you should give them up. <laughs> yeah. I gave up the alcohol and went on the chocolate. <laughs> oh, so you replaced one with the other, yeah. did you? I suppose she the sweets and chocolate that. are better for you. She eats all that and I'm the one with the diabetes. Oh my God, life isn't fair, not is fair, it? No. Are you giving up anything? I've given them up already, so not much else to give up. <laughs> Here's a man with ashes on his head. You got your ashes? Oh, yes. Do you get them every year? Oh, yes. Do you think it's important? Oh, yes. Why? It's important to me, anyway. Mm. You know. Well, there are many people this morning in the church getting ashes or at Mass. Very great crowd, yeah. 
half ate this morning, half ate mass. So it's our religion, so that's, that's it, you know. Mm. I haven't been into the church yet, but I will. Good man yourself, and you will get the ashes. Oh, I will, yeah. Will you give up at for Lent? <laughs> no, I've nothing left to give up. <laughs> life, life is the only thing I have left. I have nothing left to give up. Did you get ashes today? No, no, no. Do you, do you get ashes? Do you, do you believe in Ash Wednesday, the Lenten season? Is it important to you? No. Do you get ashes every Ash every Wednesday? Year, yeah, every year. Is it important to you? Yes. Why? Yeah. Well, I like. I just like go to mass and things like that. You know. Mm. Your faith and religion is yeah, still very important very to you. Very important, yeah, very important. It's tough times for the church, isn't I it? I know, yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? If you thought about it, you wouldn't go to Mass, really, would mm. you? Does Ash Wednesday mean anything to you? Well, it does, but it's does kind it? of it's not the same as it was years ago, obviously. I don't see as many people with the ashes, and, but that's all I can tell you. And do you give up anything for the Lenten I season? I do. Well, I don't drink or smoke. So, I don't know. I don't need chocolate, really. So, I probably need biscuits that I like. That'll be it. Oh, don't deny yourself. You're too good anyway. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks a million. Thanks. Hey, there's a young fella. Do you know what day it is today? It's Wednesday. But do you know what Wednesday it is? No. Do you know it's Ash Wednesday? No, I didn't know that, no. Did you not? Do you know what Ash Wednesday is about? No. Do you know what Lent is? I give up stuff for four days. Yeah, Yeah. you (laughs) you do know something about it. And are you going to give up anything? Probably not, no. Yes, there you have it, out and about today, and uh, different views from different people. Father Michael Cusack from the Redemptorist in Dundalk is with me today. What do you make of, you know, it's a good representative uh, sample there of people. Oh, it was very good. It was very good. And it's good to listen. I mean, there's great humour in it too, mm. you know. Um, but that's that's the population of uh, as you get it and find it. And it's the same today. I mean, we were down in our own church, uh, half past eight and half past nine, it was thronged with people, you know, but to be thronged with people doesn't mean the whole of Dundalk went into, into us, but all throughout the day there are people coming in looking for ashes to bring them to to wherever, sick relatives and some of them are taking that much ashes you could do half a country with them you know, it would take the smallest amount for me to do a full church and yet they'll lob it into an envelope but, uh, you know, these are it's a symbol that's important for people it's a strange sort of uh, custom in its own way, you know, but it does mark our, our participation, because the gospel reading for today says not to not to show yourself you know um, to, when you when you want to pray to go and hide rather than show yourself in public and I, I mentioned that at Mass this morning I said it's very hard to move from that to say now I'm going to bless the ashes that you're going to wear but look at everyone to their own and that's that's the world we're in and for those who are who are taking part in uh, the Lenten uh, observance it's it's good for them it's good for people of faith it's a good even even if you were to remove faith from it it's a very good practice you know to try and take a bit of time out during the year where you'd reflect on your own living and for each each one of us to be able to sort of become a little bit more conscious of of our intake of of so many things but also of our giving a lot of the questions you were asking there were around, are you giving up anything? You know, the the giving up was always what we were asked to do. But taking on can be just as, as challenging and maybe more challenging. Take on to do something uh, or to be something uh, a little bit uh, uh, more challenged, like last Sunday's gospel talking about hypocrisy and, uh, and you know, the need to have restraint in, in how we... That might be a good thing to consider for Lent, mm. you know, to be a little bit more... 
um, restrained in our comment uh, on others, are a little bit more reflective, a little less hypocritical. Um, that's something for everybody, and it's not a thing for Catholics or non-Catholics. It's for the general population. It's for those who'll find my presence here uh, annoying, you know, or are saying, "Oh, they're they're all hip- hypocrites that go to church." M- my line for that is, "Come in and join us," because there's always room for more. You know, <laughs> there's plenty of, there of is. seats I available. Mean, we're all hypocrites. The important thing is mm. to realise that we are. You know, realise that we all fall short, realise that we're all acting in in our own way. But deep down an awful lot of people are trying to be the best they can possibly be. And a lot of those, the ladies with the battle over the biscuits and the freddos or whatever she was having at night time, you know, all of that is part of, of a challenge in life to be the best that you can be, you know, um, and very often in difficult circumstances. Louise has suggested to me on the lines of what you're saying that for Lent that I take something at home in my house and put it into a bag one thing per day whatever that might be and after the 40 days there should be 40 items in that bag and then Mm -hmm. go and give those items to somebody or some organisation and I'm going to do that. Yeah, or look at if you could you could even go further. If you were a bit of a hoarder like myself, you could nearly take a bag a week, you know, and, and work it out that way. You'd have five or six bags ready by the time Lent was over. Decluttering for yeah, Lent, yeah, yeah, big time, you know. But I mean, all those things are very, very positive. Or, or even to take on, let's say you have a you have a relative that that you know you should be visiting more often, and it's a challenge to fit it in. Somebody in a nursing home or some relative of your own to take on to 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 put that journey on yourself, you know, uh, once a week let's say for Lent could be a fantastic thing not just for yourself but for the other person uh, don't do it as saying oh I'm here out of penance for Lent you know but but push push ourselves it's a time to push ourselves that little bit more Denial though is a thing that seems to be gone in the world because I remember back to my childhood and growing up with my parents and that first of all they would never borrow a penny now they'd never owe anybody anything but they'd wait they'd have to save and take their time to get things together but this is an instant gratification world we live in now and people expect to have everything like that isn't it no harm to reflect on you know denial and denying for a time yeah, and refocusing, I think, is the most important thing because we live in a commercial world. I mean, we're absolute pawns and clowns in the world that we're living in because we're we're suckers for every bit of advertising that comes our way. We have to have it. Uh, I was um, doing a funeral there on, on Monday of a, a lady down in Monaghan, a fantastic woman. She died here in the Lourdes uh, on, on the first Friday there. Um, Sally Morris, I don't mind mentioning her name. Uh, a wonderful lady who who lived a, a very simple life, but a very happy life, you know, and uh, went round every day in in, in her little uh, house coach, you know, and and her home was it was a huge funeral. Her home was a great place of warmth and welcome, and it was a scone of bread that was there and a cup of tea and nothing fancy and nothing extra, you know, apart from the warmth of welcome. And the challenge I was putting at the at the funeral to her grandchildren was to say, you know, isn't it amazing? Isn't that that you found so much joy around your grandmother, and yet the choices that she made in life were very much contrary to the choices that the world presents to us now. You know, in fact, the things that the world rejects uh, today are the things that that she found uh, most rewarding, and that they found most rewarding with her, like family, faith. spending time together the old Kaylee just sitting down sharing the little that we have with one another there was always enough but the challenge what what happens to people nowadays is and every one of us fall fall for this I think 
pretty much every one of us, is, is that commerce dictates, uh, materialism dictates, advertising dictates uh, what we have to have in our world. Some of it is good and some of it clearly isn't so good. But we all buy into it. I'm just back from Brazil. Uh, I was there for three weeks and I visited some of the places that I had worked in 30 years ago. And uh, the one thing I noticed, I mean, there might have been some material improvement in, in, in some of the rural communities or maybe they had got the asphalt down on the road as, a pair, as, as opposed to the dirt, dirt tracks from the past. But, I mean, even people still in their poverty, what you could see outside the houses were people sitting in, in their rocking chairs, this time with a mobile phone. You know, uh, somebody sent me a, a Facebook friend request, you know, and they're still hand milking the one cow in the morning and bringing the bit of milk down to the village to try and... But commerce has dictated... Now, it's been wonderful because it has, it has opened up a world of communication. But we also know the other side of that as well, you know, where, where we're all suckers and we're all brought into it. I think that's uh, quite obvious from what happened last week with that Momo thing, which turned out to be an absolute farce and a laugh. But it, it, it proved to me one thing how easy it is now to create mass hysteria. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we, um, but I think we've lost something, you know, in, in analysing and controlling the world that, that we live in. And we we were used to controlling it, probably in, 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 a, in a thing that you'd call censorship. And we've gone the opposite way because I think there are lots of things that perhaps need to be censored in the world we live in because they're harmful, because they are not good. Just because it's possible doesn't mean it should be, it should be part of our world. We're we're free to make choices and to plan for the future and for for the greater good for all humankind. And I think that's maybe where we fall short at, at times, you know, in, in the world today. Do you think as well there's a feeling abroad like that nobody cares what lies beyond this human existence that an awful lot of people feel, look, we're here. It's uh, tough enough for an awful lot of people being here, but there's no concern for beyond this yeah, life. Well, for, th- for those, I mean, who are happy enough with that, that's fine for them. You know, I don't know how I would cope if I, d- if I weren't imagining that and believing that there, that there's something greater to the mystery of life than what's here, because what's here is far too difficult. It's far too complex. It's it's far too stressful. I mean, the repetitive nature of, of, of what's demanded of people getting up in, in the morning and heading off to work and trying to put bread on the table and trying to compete with everybody else around them and all those forces and dealing with sicknesses and the poor woman on the thing with the diabetes who couldn't have, you know, the bit of chocolate and her friend having loads of it. And, you know, the world is a very, very stressful place. And I think we we, we lose out. Well, personally, I, I can't judge another another person in that regard, but I think I'm the richer for having my faith. And I know many, many people who faith has stood to them as a framework to bring them through the difficulties of life, but also to give them a focus into um, the, the life that that comes after this. Now, how somebody else is without that, I don't know, but I, I just imagine that it must be a much harder existence. Will I tell them what you gave me a minute ago? Do, there? do. Will I? Oh, do, I, I, I didn't want it. No, do tell, because because it just shows how where our minds aren't focused at times. But there you have it. It's a challenge for you to resist. He gave me a chocolate. 
know what you're talking about giving up and denying at length. I have a little chocolate in a gold wrapper, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put that beside me and resist it now. Exactly. And the reason I gave it was I must have taken it from some restaurant <laughs> or something yesterday. I haven't been eating it before someone rings in and talks about the hypocrisy. But if it was in the bag, it could have been eaten before the day was out. I tell you one thing about you. He always comes in with something to us and he picks up something on his travels and, and it's here with us when he comes in for the chat. Look, when you, when you look at... Um, uh, what's been happening the last while in Rome and all over the world as well with the with the congregations and it continues to roll on and the Pope spoke about the scandals in the church recently as well. Are you, are you confident? You know, people have analysed what he had to say and they had this special get-together of cardinals in Rome to look at abuse in the church. Do you feel they're, they're getting to grips with it? I I I do feel I feel I feel that that uh, that Pope Francis is certainly doing his best, you know, and and the the popular thing is to go straight in and and knock it before it's given a, a chance, and that's okay. There's loads of reasons for that. There's loads of reasons to not want to believe that things can go better. Um, disillusioned, I am. I'm disillusioned with church all the time, and increasingly so, like at certain levels. But also, the flip side of it is never more certain that it was needed. I think we're in a time when we never needed more uh, the the presence of, of a spiritual focus in our lives because of the lack of it, because because of, uh, and, and the lack of it, I mean, who, whoever wants to take the blame for that can take the blame for it. But I mean, my day, by and large, consists of journeying with people um, from one moment of life to another. It, it can change. I can't plan a week. I can plan nothing because death doesn't plan. Sickness doesn't plan. Good news very often can sort of be planned a little bit, but tragedy can't. And that's the life that we, we live in. It's the life I minister in and it's it's the place in which we try to accompany people. And it's a very privileged place to be. I mean, the idea that that power, and of course it is power and it was power, that power destroyed that. You know, Jesus was never a person who, who, who pushed for power. Jesus actually said that the power was in weakness, you know, and the power is in surrender and the power is in that the greatest become the least, you know, journey with the people, walk in their, in their footsteps. I've said it again and again, I think, here in this program that... Uh, Faith or church may have failed us and church may be a disaster in very many ways. But the Christian message is not. And the message of Jesus is 100% pertinent to the world in which we live in today. It's 100% a good message. There's nothing in it. I, you point it out to me if you can find something in the gospel message that you say is wrong. Church teachings you could challenge. Church policy you could challenge. Church neglect and church abuse, all these things you can challenge. But the message of Jesus, it's in possible, I think, to find any aspect of it that you would actually be able to argue in a healthy way against. Because it's about love, it's about understanding, it's about a kingdom that is to uh, of responsibility and shared joy and shared happiness and shared journey and accepting, you know, the, the, the sufferings of life. So for me, um, it, I, 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 it sounds like as if I'm trying to slip off the off the fence by saying, you know, don't point your finger at me. But I don't like the finger being pointed at me. I feel the burden and the weight of all the errors and wrongs of the church, as indeed many of us do. Uh, but I also feel the the huge need that people have and the appreciation that they have that we try to journey with them. So in, in, in any given week, you know, you absolutely know that that you're in a life of privilege that, for, as a priest 
that I'm in a life of privilege that allows me access to to the deepest moments and struggles and worries of people's lives. This week alone, I want to just give you one or two little examples to tell you. And this is sort of a day in the life of like. Sometimes you, you, because I'm below at the shrine of St. Jared Magellan in Dundalk, you have lots of people who are praying for the gift of life. That's a very, very precious gift. And the world doesn't, doesn't fully seem to understand how precious the gift of life is. But the gift of life that people are praying for is like the gift that a young couple who stood before me this week with, I could see the build up of emotion in them as they go for the last time to try IVF because they want that gift of life. So how many failures there were, how many disappointments, how much pain and brokenheartedness they carried, I don't know, but I felt it and felt it very strongly with them. I also had a celebration of the Eucharist for a family who lost a little baby. They were given that gift and three weeks later that child was dead. You know, uh, then you have the joys of, of, of somebody breaking the news of their wedding and you're trying to accompany them. And I had a christening on Sunday, a little baby that brought great joy to somebody else. I had a funeral on Monday. You know, you're moving in this roller coaster of life, but it's a place of privilege and it's a place where people deeply appreciate our accompanying them. And I know our time is probably running out very quickly here. But as we were at the funeral the other day um, for Sally Morris down in Monaghan, and I have to mention um, just any of the family who are, who are listening in our deepest sympathy these to them but um, somebody at the funeral sang this wonderful song called Kindred Spirit it's written by Phil Coulter and uh, I think on your recording you have Malachi Kush singing it but it's a it's a beautifully deep spiritual song about the kindred spirit and and what unites us and I'd, I'd prefer for us to be working towards what unites rather than what divides We'll see you at the end of the Lenten season you won't be gone at that stage and we'll talk then about your imminent departure I don't know what we're going to do I say again without you but for the moment Father Michael Q Music. Uh, Kindred Spirits is the name of the song written by Phil Coulter and performed by Malachi Kush. Thank you very much. Thank you. The candlelight is fading as I gently kneel and say an ave for my mother as a spirit slips away Away to join my father And to share eternity We call them kindred spirits Now they will forever be Smiling down from up above As fondly we remember The old house they filled with love How even through the hard times They were close as close could be Just like the kindred spirits They will forever be Their love was as deep as the ocean Flying higher than eagles would dare As strong as the mountains in Donegal As soft 
does the morning enclare? I can see her in the kitchen. I can smell the baking bread. I can hear my father singing as he tucked us into bed. They shared the load together. They were proud as proud could be. And now those kindred spirits will share eternity. Yes, the switchboard is actually on fire, can I tell you, at the moment. Michael Cusick is still here with me. You'll be glad to hear this, Michael. Uh, people want to know, what is that song? Well, the song is Kindred Spirits. It's by Phil Coulter, written by Phil Coulter, and performed by Malachi Kosh. God, you got a number one today. See you after Easter. Thank you, and happy, happy Lent to everybody. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Test drive the all-new fully electric Renault Zoe and the all-new Renault 1.3 Petrol Kajar today. With finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. When I tell you that my next guest has had a remarkable life in his 50 years so far, I really mean it. That he represented Ireland at the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta was incredible, given that he was a real latecomer to athletics, a feat that in a way epitomises a man oozing determination and resilience. I'm delighted to welcome to Late Lunch this afternoon, Shane Healy. Shane, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Jared, for having me on your show. You're very welcome, and I'm delighted you're with me today. And I want to tell them there is more great news about this man. Congratulations, because you are, tell them what you are now. Uh, world record holder in the 1500 metres. For 1,500 metres indoors. I broke it there two weeks ago. And that's for the 50 age category, is it? 50 and over, correct. In the world? In the world, yes. Shane, you're some man for one man. Congratulations. That is some achievement. It really is. I want to go right back with you to uh, your early, early days because your life story really begins there. You're, You're from Dublin originally. What part of the city? Rap mines. Uh, we, we, I, well, I was like a, a, a pinball. I was all over parts of Dublin, like from Sandy Mount to Rap Mines to Halls Cross to Glasnevin. So yeah, I've had my fair. You know the city well. I know every back lane way <laughs> from of your Dublin. childhood. Correct. In your family, uh, your mum and dad married 1959. Correct. Yeah. And the first child was Aaron. 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 Sorry, a girl. Was it? Was it a girl? A little, a little girl. girl. Okay. Yeah. And uh, how many more then came along in the family? There was four more after that, Brian, Lorraine, 
uh, Liona and myself. Okay. Mm. But uh, the wee girl, the first girl, it's an important aspect to this story of yours. What happened to her? It is. It was just, it was, my parents were married in 59 and we were living in the, we were living, parents were living in Holt, I think, at the time and uh, mother was out getting some sun in the back garden. It was in the summers and daddy came home from work and um, he says, look, how is Erin doing? And mother said, oh, she's a fine, she's asleep upstairs, you know, and daddy went upstairs to go see his little daughter and uh, he picked her up and she was stoned dead. She died from cot death and kind of, you know, so that kind of, it was kind of just, it was just so so unfortunate, you know. It was very sad. Do you think times. that left its mark on the relationship with your mother and father and the family? Yeah, well, it wasn't a great start, now was it? Mm. You know, it was, a, yeah, and look, I don't know. Look, it was traumatic, very very traumatic, and I don't know how it would have put the dent on the relationship. You know? Yes. Okay, so the rest of the children come along. Then are they all born in Dublin as well? Uh, a couple of them were born. One, 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 I think Brian was born in Mullingar or Roscombe, I'm not sure. Mm. There was another one. Uh, Lorraine was born, I think, in Mullingar. Uh, I think I was the only one born in Dublin. I'm okay. not sure, yeah. But the children came along and were in the family unit there. We were, yeah. Now, you were only four years of age. Mm-hmm. And... One morning you wake up. Take up the story. You wake up we, this morning. We, we were living in Sandy Mount in Tridentville Road, and um, I was four years old. And there was a huge big argument going on in the house. You know, we were fighting. I guess like a lot of couples fight. You remember you know. this? Yeah. Well, yeah, vaguely, you know. And um, one uh, night, the, the parents got into an awful fight, and um, the mother was going out the front door, and the rain woke up from the screaming and the fighting and uh, she came downstairs from what I heard any from what I've been told that mother grabbed Lorraine and took Lorraine with her and to this day I haven't seen or heard from them since 1973 and completely just disappeared off the face of the earth and there's many times that I've through my athletics, probably my prime athletics time in the 1990s, I asked for them to come forth in newspaper articles and in interviews. And to this day, still no joy. Not a peep about your mum or your sister, ever? Ever. Not even a postcard or a Christmas card or a happy birthday. Or, no. What about your dad? What, what did he say about this? Uh, Daddy always told me that, God bless his soul, he's, he's passed away now five years. Um... Daddy always said to me, he says, look, if I knew that I was never going to see your mother again or Lorraine, I would have probably looked at things differently and probably stopped her from leaving that night. But who was supposed to know that you'd never see him again? Like, it was just weird. Like, it was crazy. And was she listed? They were listed as missing persons with the authorities? I, I don't know. No, no, I don't think so. No, just look, she knows how to contact us because they got married in Tulsk and Roscommon and... Um, she knows where all our uncles and aunts live because that's how they met and I have like 13 uncles and aunts in Roscommon and a lot of them have passed on now but over the years they were, all, they were alive and well and she knows how to contact us but she just doesn't want to be contacted if she's still alive today like yeah so she made no contact with them either with no. nobody in the, in the wider family no and the only and my mum was from England well from Irish extraction like her mm. parents they were Kelly same as your last name Jared. but um she was brought up in Huddersfield, York, and she came back to, or back and forth to the family in Roscommon. And I had one granddaddy over there, one grandfather, and I only knew about him in 89 or 80. I didn't know because we were very distant, you know. And he had passed away in 99, so that was the link to my mother's side. And I had one aunt, her sister, Aunt Helen. 
And I remember talking to her when I was in college in America briefly because I said, look, I have to make contact and see would and Aunt Helen know and she's and I talked to her on the phone from college in America back in 1991 and she said no Shane I'm, I'm being honest with you I haven't seen or heard from your mother since 1970 since she left and I said are you really sure you're not just holding back on us you know and she says no I'm very truthful and she says look I have wonderful photographs of your fat mother and I growing up I'll get them to you so I called and I said okay and then just like I was really busy with the athletics thing and then I called back a year later and I found out that she had passed away from cancer Cancer, Aunt Helen, at the age of 51. So she had one daughter called Charlotte. And to this day, I still can't contact Charlotte. It's yeah. a real mystery, isn't it? Do you, do, you, do you suspect your mother is alive or dead or your sister? Do you know something? My, my sister, Lyona, she's a year younger than me. And she has really kind of a sixth sense. She always says to me, look, they're still alive. I can feel it. And um, I feel it too, same too. Like my mother would be 81 now, 82 and Lorraine would be, she was born in 65, so she'd be 53, 54 mm. this year. So there's every possibility if your mum isn't that your sister is alive. Yeah. You know, and, and who, who knows, people live <laughs> to you nearly know, 100 a day. There's not a day that goes by, like, no matter what happened with my parents. Um, my mother brought me into this world as a healthy human being. And I just like to say, look, no matter what happened, I still like to see you if you're out there, and to touch you. And that's with you every day, Shane, of your life. Never goes away. No. So if by chance today anybody's listening who might know what was her name again? Give her a name again. Moin Kelly. I'm Moin Agnes Kelly. And my sister's name is, but um, Moeen Agnes Kelly was a maiden name, mm. and Moeen Agnes Healy, of course, when she married. Married name. And your sister? And is Lorraine Healy. Lorraine Healy. Mm-hmm. Does that ring a bell with anybody today, or when this is podcast, if you're listening to this back, this interview with Shane Kelly, if it does, it would mean so much to this man. My God, you're deeply, deeply affected by it, and I can, I can understand why. Your mum's gone, your sister walks out, you see them no more, your dad is left with you... And your brother and a sister, is it? Yeah, well, when Mum was, was uh, pregnant with me, she had TB and she spent most of her term in hospital. And the three kids were left in Roscommon with the aunt, as they do. But one of the children, Lyona, she stayed with my aunt for most of her life. OK, over. so she was reared there. She was reared there. And Lorraine, you never seen. Again. Course, and then Brian went with Daddy then. Because your dad decided he was going to England to look for work. He was, yeah. He went to Manchester. Yeah. He took the oldest boy, Brian, with him. Aye, Brian, yeah, because he was old enough to look after himself. He would have been 11. What age were you at that stage? And where did you go? I I went into a home. I went, first home was in Donnybrook. I can't remember the name of it. And then the second home I went into was uh, Golden Bridge Orphanage. That is an infamous name today. But you know some... I don't like it was really it was really hard on a fully grown man like that that lost love of his life and then like and he he, he was a bit of a devil for he liked the beers and yet and he was a fantastic panel and he went to England and I could understand like it'd be very tough on a, a grown man to bring a child and looking for work and and then he had enough responsibility with Brian you know I was only four and I was probably a little bit of a wild kid too you know so look it's um how long were you in Golden Bridge for? I was in Golden Bridge on and off for um, 
Probably two years, two and a half years. How did you find it there? What was your experience? It was tough, Jerry. Like the older kids, like would kind of bully you sometimes. You know, it was, you know, kids would be kids. You know, and um, I remember the time like we would be. Um, You'd be getting washed, you know, and there'd be little indentation in the floor. And it'd, it'd be like probably about 12 inches deep, 18 inches deep, and about about 8 foot by 8 foot. And there'd be about 20 kids in there, and they'd be washing you down with the, the, so, the murky waters. And I remember the the smell of the, I don't know, that old probiotic soap. And it was like, but that was... Carbolic soap, carbolic I think it soap, was. Yeah. yeah. My granny used to have it. Yeah. I can look, still smell it myself. Yeah, and look, the, the homes are never easy because you have a bit of bullyingism and, you know, and you have the kids fighting with the kids and stuff. But look, you just got on with it and you stood up for yourself, you know. You had to. You had to at an early age, you know. You came through. And you had, hadn't you, an aunt called Noreen who used to visit you there? Noreen, yeah. My dad's youngest sister, Noreen, she was a beautician in Switzerland, in Grafton Street and she lived in Baggage Street and she used to come and take me out, her and her husband to be Stan. They used to come out and take me out of the home every second weekend and they, he he loved golf courses so I remember all the golf courses he'd bring me to and stuff and God love and sometimes when Stan wasn't around she would actually bring me into work on a Saturday and I'd be in behind the counter in Switzerland like which is Brown Thomas now and you can imagine like she probably got some serious smack for bringing this four year old kid in but knowing it was wonderful she took me out home and she was fantastic with me and then one weekend one weekend she never came uh, Jerry to collect me and I was like what was going on here and I was probably six and a half at the time and uh, seven and I got word that um, she was showering in her apartment in Baggage Street and she was 37 years old and she was due to get married in the next few months to Stan but she had a massive brain hemorrhage and she passed away and that one lovely contact you had yeah because she was the substitute for my mother yes she was was all of a sudden gone Shane it was a real tragedy when your aunt Noreen passed away now ironically this brought another change to your life because your dad came home for the funeral he did yeah came home for the funeral and he had met another lady called Denise lovely lovely woman and after the funeral she said look let's take your son out of home and bring his bring him over to England with him. So, thank God, yeah, they came and took me out of the home, yeah. So you went to England, spent about a year in, there? In, in Manchester, yeah. And then the whole family came back here? Came back here, we, we, we moved to Rapmines. You have half-brothers and sisters, how many? Uh, with Denise now, we have five but half-brothers and sisters. Oh God, this became a burgeoning family, didn't it? It did, it did, it did. Were they happy times when, when you reunited with your dad in England and here? Oh, of course, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, look, it's, uh, I think it was better than the home. Mm. And look, I had Daddy back and, and Denise, you know, she was like my mother, like she was fantastic, you know. And then as the years went by, she had children of her own, like Mark, that of Mark, Alan, Ben, Aaron, Kim, you know. So. Yes, OK. Mm-hmm. Now, you weren't that fond of school. Is that fair? I was. <laughs> I was, yeah. Daddy um, enrolled me into a school in Rap Mines called Richmond Hill, and this was in '79 or eight, in '70 in 1977 or '78. And I remember the time we were playing in the the courtyard. We were playing football, you know. And Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You know, you had the best scrappers in the school. You had Stephen Whelan, he was like four foot wide, skinhead. Then you had Limo, Elliot Craig, and they were the second best scrappers. But we were playing one time in Dublin, in, in, in the courtyard, and we were playing football. And the second best scrapper in the school was laying down in the courtyard, just laying there, flat down, looking up to the sky. And we were playing football. And I remember that the, the Hughes' twins, they were playing. One was in goal. So anyway, lord behold, didn't one of the Hughes' twins kick the ball right up into the air as high as he could, right up. And then the ball come straight down and landed right on Limo's face. And blood spat and all you got here. He got up and I was like, oh, oh. And everybody just pointed to the goalkeeper and I never and then this guy just went over and just gave him a serious hide and I said oh here I have to get out of this school so I decided to go on the Mitch that <laughs> so was it that ended was you at school I said, I said I'm, going, I'm out of here I'm out, I, I said I'm going on the Mitch and uh, so what I did on the when I went on the Mitch to keep my days occupied my next, my next door neighbour we were living in the flat in Rap Mines in Leinster Road <laughs> in Leinster Road um, he had an old him man hunt it was an estate and uh, he had it loaded up with Wrangler jeans because I think Wrangler jeans was on the go then but he had a stall in the dandelion market and I used to go in with him and help him sell, sell Wrangler jeans on the stalls in the dandelion market and I always loved the dandelion market because you always got the smell of uh, incense and all the stalls and the people were wonderful there and then other times then when I was on the Mitch to keep myself occupied was I used to steal newspapers from, and I used to sell them at half price to the old age pensioners in the block of flats in Rat Mines and then sometimes if I had papers left over I sell them at the traffic lights you know as you do is survive you know and um, so anyway one day I was at home and I was eating my dinner and uh, I, the elder got a, a call from the uh, school and she said oh Mr Healy uh, Shane hasn't been in attendance and the elder probably just called oh he's on the Mitch again so he covered me fair play to me you know, he goes oh he's sick and I said God he must be really sick because he hasn't been in attendance for the last few months mm. so <laughs> So when Daddy came home that night and he said, how, how was your school? I said, oh, I was brilliant. I got such a wallop across the head. And he goes, you haven't been in school in two or three months. And I said, I know, Dad, I don't like the school. I just don't like the school you sent me to. And blah, blah. But then he enrolled me into another school, Clever Road in Halls Cross. And I absolutely loved that school. It was amazing, like, her difference the in difference. schools. And, and did you finish out your education? I did. I finished my I finished primary. I went to sixth class. And then we moved then over to Platonic Avenue in Glasnevin. And I went to school there. Uh, Plunkets for one year 
and I didn't like it either. I just wasn't into education at the time. And so really you dropped out. I and dropped out. You didn't finish your schooling. But didn't tell me about this. When you were 18, you met a couple called Ryan and Sherry Roberts in the headline bar in Harold's Cross. In Harold's Cross, yeah. Why was that significant? Well, I was working as an apprentice bartender and... They said they were from Florida. I met them at the bar and I said, oh, I love America because I remember the kids. When I, I remember the kids' programs. I used to watch Chips and the Charlie's Angels and the Six Million Dollar Man. I said, I want to go to America someday. I promised myself I'll go. And they said, well, look, if you ever come to Florida, there's an invitation open for you. And I saw them in August 86. And then uh, t- two months later, yeah, two months later, I got the, the flight to America then and two months later. And you took up their invitation? I did. And the, and the, the thing about this was um, how I got the money for the ticket was um, in 1983, I was hit off my bicycle in Drunkanja, rolled over by a car. And then four years later, I got 1,500 quid or two grand for my claim and that helped pay for the ticket to America. So it was awesome. It was expensive to get out there in those it was, days. It, it really was. was. Yeah. So you go to the States and uh, you meet this couple there mm-hmm. and you make your way around America for how long, how long were you in the States before? Because you did come back, didn't you? I, 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 was in the, I made my way around America for three, three and a half years working in Hawaii. Hitchhiked, hitchhiked across America. Didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Just staying in homeless shelters in LA, San Francisco. Then I flew out to Hawaii, worked as a waiter for a couple of years and then came back to California and then I bought a little camper and then back over to Florida and this was in 89 summer and I said look I haven't been home in a good while so I flew back to Ireland and then I see nothing had changed from 86 and this was in the summer of 89 so in I think it was September October I decided to leave Ireland so I flew to London and then I went down to the south of London south of England got the hovercraft across to France and then that's where I started hitchhiking from down to France down to Spain and then I ended up in Gibraltar and you were on Ships or boats or on yeah, the sea, were you? Well, I was working on the catchments in Gibraltar. Um, tough work was, I was what I was doing was putting pouring cement to, and they were putting up big nets to stop the rocks from hitting the motors from falling down off the cliffs. And I was up on the ledge one time and I seen all these yachts in the, in the marina. And I said to my friend, I was working, where are all these yachts coming from? Where are they all going? Like, And he says, oh, they're all coming in from the Mediterranean from the summer and they're all doing, going to be going to the Caribbean for the winter. And I said, oh my God, this is a great chance for me to get off this rock this forbidden place and uh, so I, I quit my job I just I just quit on the spur of the moment I said no I'm going to go and he said what do I ask for a job and he says look ask as a deckhand because he had a little bit of sailing experience and I said okay I'm going to ask for a deckhand job okay so that afternoon I went down and started knocking on all the boats the hulls in the marina and the first day no luck and all the boats are identified by the flags so anyway the next day I knocked on the ball and I and it was a French flag and the captain came up yes bonjour and I said excuse me do you need any deckhand help and he says where are you from I said I'm from Ireland and he says Ireland oh you Irish are a bunch of drunks you like to drink too much I said look sir I don't even drink I don't drink alcohol and he says well come back to me tomorrow so I came back to him tomorrow the next day and he says okay we're going to be setting voyage from Gibraltar to the Canaries Seven, six, six or seven day voyage. He says, and then we see how we go from there. And that was it. And that was it. Yeah, I you say, worked on that particular boat. I, put, I worked on that. It was a sixty foot Swan, beautiful yacht. And the reason why I was going to the Canaries. And then when we got to the Canaries, he says, "Look, Shane, you're doing a good job." And my job was to keep watch at night time for super tankers, mm. and then just kick back during the daytime and help and 
you know, just enjoy yourself. And there was a couple of stewardesses from Sweden. There was a captain and then there was the cook. And it was really, it was a great vibe. You know, it was brilliant. And how did you end up back then in the States? Well, when I got to the Canaries, the captain said, look, do you want to stay in the Canaries or do you want to go to the Caribbean? We're going to go to Guadeloupe. And I said, well, you're not going to leave me here in the Canaries. So we sailed across the Atlantic Ocean to the to Guadeloupe and the reason why the yacht was going to Guadeloupe was to promote industry for two years and they wouldn't have to pay them taxes on the million dollar yacht so I worked up and down the Caribbean working on sailing yachts that's what I did for the year yeah and then ultimately back to America I go I got a job to deliver a boat up with some other people to Nova Scotia Canada okay and we dropped the boat there and I said I've finished with sailing and then I hitchhiked across Canada by myself and I sneaked across the border in Vancouver down and then I hitchhiked down to uh, Washington, down to Oregon, down to California because I had a little bit of history with California because I'd been there before. And I bought a Volkswagen camper for a thousand dollars and I lived in my Volkswagen camper. And I had some paperwork from being in California before so I could get in state residency, you know, because I kind of, uh, you know, you got, I got a social security card and I enrolled in the community college, which was only $50, $50 for a semester. And while I was enrolled in the community college, I got talking to the black sprinters. It was mainly a black and Asian college. And they were saying to the coach, hey, coach, is that crazy? I just went to live in his camper that people are talking about. He's living on his, in his Volkswagen camper. And he says, Hey, you look like Eamon Coughlin, Marcus O'Sullivan, because Eamon and Marcus were world record holders at that time, indoors. And he says, why don't you come out and run a mile for me? You look like you have the ability. I said, I'm not going to run a mile. I'm, I, need, I need to find work money for food. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you $50 if you run a mile for me. And I said, you're going to give me $50 to run a mile. I said, show me the $50. So he showed me the $50. I said, I, so I snatched the $50 and I went out onto the track. And I thought for some reason it was three laps to a mile. But it actually turned out to be four. And I didn't pace myself probably. But I was quite sprinting in after three laps. And he said, no, no, you have one more. Don't slow down. And that day, Jerry, I had found the American dream. I had found something that was exciting to me. And I ran a 432 mile without any training. You had never run before? Never ran before. Shane, so you run that first mile for $50. How long did it take you to break the four minute? Uh, I ran a four-minute mile the following year. A couple of years later, I ran the sub-four-minute mile in Cork, 3.58. Incredible for somebody. What age were you when you took it up? 22, was it? 22 years old. Never ran before? Never ran before. Now, another significant name in your life story is a guy called Joe Vihill. This is a famous man, isn't he? He is, yeah. He's the 1984 and 88 US Olympic distance coach. And I seen one of his athletes, Danny Mass, running at the Fresno Relays. And he ran a 4-1 mile at the end of the relay, bringing them home as champions. And at that time, I was running 4-17 for the mile. And I asked Danny, I said, where's Adam State? I want to go to Adam State. You know, I seen your 4-1 mile. He was like a god to me, you know. And this man nearly breaking four minutes to a mile. And he says, look, contact my coach, Dr. Joe Vigil. He's in Adam State and he's the US Olympic coach. So I called up Coach V and said, Coach, I want to come to your college and run. He says, Son, all kids want to come. Why have you ran for the mile? I said, Look, I've only been running a few months, but I'm down to 417 for the mile. I made the California State Championships just there. This she says, No, no, we do that six times a mile in training. He says, You're not good enough. I said, Look, Coach, I'm hungry. I really want to run for your school. And then after convincing him over the week or so, he said, Look, send out your transcripts. And I sent out the transcripts. And lo and behold, they accepted me into Adam State. And so I sold up the Volkswagen camper for what it was worth. And I hitchhiked from San Francisco to Alamosa. Colorado and I remember the time when I got to Alamosa the person that when I got the lift off he dropped me off at the bowling alley and I called up coach I said coach I'm here in Alamosa 
And he says, where are you at the airport? I said, no, I'm at the bowling alley. He says, son, I think you picked me up wrong. We don't give scholarships for bowling. I said, no, coach. I mean, I, the person that dropped me off was from hitchhiking. He says, but see, that's why he knew he, he knew he had someone special. He knew he had this kid that no other kid was going to hitchhike 1,200 miles to go to his college. And that's where the relationship really sprung. And then within a year, I ran 4-1 for the mile. And then I set national indoor records in the NC2As. And then the final year, then I... Uh, uh, won nationals in cross country in the NC2As which is very rare for a middle distance runner because that's a long distance event and I was Coach Fields last national champion before he retired in 93-94 Marvellous marvellous yeah. story how did you come to run in the Olympic Games in 96 for Ireland? Well I, I came home to Ireland in the summer I, I wasn't getting no support in America I was, I was actually homeless in 95 for a few months in America in Colorado I was actually staying in the back of a friend's pickup truck with one of them canopies over it, Shannon Butler. And I said, no, I have to get better support, better. I had to go home. So I went home and I represented Ireland in a couple of the European meets. And in in, Oct- in October, Frank Greeley of the Irish runner, he uh, got me £500 to fly to Australia and try and get the Olympic A standard in the 5,000. But when I got to Australia, I ran a couple of races, but I came down with salmonella. And I was really, really sick. And I remember being in the uh, the hostel there, just feeling sorry for myself and just no energies. It was a bad dose I got. So I came back to Ireland. It was actually my first time home in Ireland for 10 years for Christmas. And uh, I came back with my tail between my ass. And I said, oh, my God, I've only got six months to the Olympic Games. And John Tracy did a piece on me in the Irish Runner. And that's when one of the Pat Kenny's researchers picked up on it. And he had me on the radio show. And that's when things started to, to the, the lease of life and on New Year's Day I met Eamon Coughlin for the second time because I met him before that in New York um, I asked Eamon says look you ran really well running 339 in the summer of 95 I said yeah Eamon but I'm finished college and I just don't know how to get to that next level you know to get to the 336s or 337s and he says look Shane if you do exactly what I say don't question what I do I will coach you for the Olympic Games and this was just six months to the Olympic Games so I went out and did just road work for a few months to get over to Seminella and then charged into the athlete, into training on the track and then in May in June um, I was under serious pressure because I was on the Pack Kenny Live and I said oh my god I got a little bit of sponsorship from the Pack Kenny Live show and I said okay I said I'm going to do something and I better do it because I'm usually the man of my word and it came down to the last few weeks and I had ran three or four races in Europe and I kept on running 340, 357 for the mile, 356 and I I was just missing the A standard by one and a half seconds and it came down to like the two weeks to cut off the Olympics and I was just on the suit and I was in, I ran four races in like two weeks in four different countries so I was starting to get tired. And I said, oh, my God, is this in vain? And then I came back from a, a, a race in Slovenia or in Estonia and I got into the Frank Greeley's Irish Runner magazine at the office in Hall's Cross. And it was on the Monday. I only got in that morning and I was looking at meets desperate. And I seen this meet on Wednesday night in Madrid. And I called the meeting director up from the Frank's office and I said, sir, can I run your 1500? And he said, no, no, we have Firmin Cacho, the Olympic champion running there. The field is full. I called that man, Jerry, five times that day in that office and I hounded him. I said, please, sir, let me. He says, is this this the crazy eye? I said, yes, sir, I need to get into your race. And he says, "Okay, look, if you make your own way, you fly out. So I flew out the next morning on a Tuesday morning 
and I was really, really tired. I got to Madrid, and he said he picked me up at the airport. I was coming in on the plane, and the captain said, "Oh, Madrid, welcome to Madrid. It's forty degrees Celsius." And I was like, "Oh God!" And then he said, "It's altitude three thousand feet." I said, "Oh my God! I didn't pick a good place to qualify here to run the fastest race of my life." So that evening, I said I lay down for an hour and then go for dinner. But I slept right through. I was just exhausted. Then the next day, I got up for breakfast, and I said, "Oh my God! I missed my meal last night as well." So that evening, the race was on. And I went to the stadium, went out there, and I had ran 3.39 for the 1500. The Olympic A standard was 3.38.00. And I said, please don't let the clock stop on 3.38.01 because you don't qualify. Because two people already had the Olympic A standard, Marcus O'Sullivan and Niall Bruton. And I'm a big believer in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. There's three golden tickets because three can go for each country. And there was one more golden ticket. And I said, that ticket, I have to get that golden ticket. So the race started off and catch you and stuff. And to make a long story short, I ran the race of my life. I ran 3.36. Point six five, <laughs> and I was I qualified for you the Olympics. Got it. Just, the, uh, just, just in just, the nick just. of time, and I was just chuffed. It was happiest day. Well, do you know what the nick of time is going to be though shortly. But take us on when you went to the Olympics in Atlanta and you ran there and you qualified through. You just didn't make the final, but you went mighty close. I made it to the semi-final. Yes. And I missed the final by just a few places. Yeah, well, look, the, the, the heat of Atlanta. But mm. look, I was top 15 or 18 in the world that day. Um, it was, I think it's a phenomenal achievement. What did that mean to you? It was fantastic to run for my country. Mm. <sighs> just uh, at an Olympic Games. And the Olympic Games, and to know something to watch Michael Johnson because I was coming out for the the heat, the, the semi final of the fifteen hundred, and there was Michael Johnson coming around in his gold spikes. Now you have to be serious, like wearing gold spikes. Him breaking the four hundred meter world record, it was a two hundred meter world record, breaking that record in front mm. of me, and I'm going oh, don't screw up here now because there was 90,000 people in that stadium and the, the reverberating of the crowd noise went right through your chest. It was a phenomenal experience and do you know something? I like to get the message out there to young kids. If you have a dream and your God has given you a God-gifted talent, don't let it go to waste. Stay away from antisocial behaviour. Don't listen to negative people in your life. Get out and chase your dreams. Never, ever give up. You chase them, you achieve them, and you know, I have to say, you're one of the most remarkable people I've ever spoken to about their lives. I do hope that your mother and your sister coming back to this, someday, please, complete the circle of life for this man. If you're listening, if anybody knows of their whereabouts, do get in touch. Any little bit of information, you never know, may unlock a door here. I want to say congratulations on being 1,500 metre world record holder, and good luck, you're heading to Poland too. Yeah, for the World Indoor Championships at uh, the end of March. Yeah, I'm running the World Cross Country for Ireland and then I'm, a few days later I'm running the 8 and 15. So it's a tough, tough schedule for me for that week. Yeah, definitely. But I run with pride and run for my country with pride. Absolutely. We know you will. Shane Healy, the last while on Late Lunch. It's been my pleasure. Thank, Thank you for you. joining me on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Jerry. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Test drive the all-new fully electric Renault Zoe and the all-new Renault 1.3 Petrol Kajar today. With finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. Thomas Campbell from Kalosh de Reis. Little did I think I'd be talking to you so soon after our wonderful interview with you and the students in studio last week. Congratulations. Tell our listeners what they've won. Yeah, no, no, the, the great day yesterday in the Carrickdale, they won the uh, Senior Enterprise Award, so that represents TY's fifth and sixth years. So they'll now go on to the All-Ireland Final in on Friday the 3rd of May in Crow Park to represent Loud, so the girls are absolutely delighted with themselves. 
I'd say there's some buzz around them, the class and the school today. Yeah, they're absolutely delighted. We, we, last year we were in the competition, we only got second. So unfortunately, it's only, it's only the first team that gets through. So we were unlucky last year. So the school's delighted to get one step forward for this year and against it, get to Crow Park in, in May. So it'll be great, great for the school and great for, the, great for those students, you know. Now, the Bin Bungie is the one that took the honours. And I was so impressed, as you saw last week in studio, when they brought it in. We had a prototype here. They showed me how it worked. It's a wonderful idea. Just remind us again what the concept is about. Yeah, it's just, it's just a simple idea. It just it basically screws down into, into your bin. And it just, uh, there's a bungee cord with, it, with, 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 a, with a hook on it and a hook shot bin down. So uh, just the girls with their own families had, had, had when, when the bad weather comes or if a bin even falls over with a dog or something it just keeps it keeps all the rubbish in place so it's a really simple idea they've sold about nearly over 200 units so they're, they're going really well with it but uh, yeah I think the judges just like the, the idea was simple and it's, it's, it's easy to sell you know I'm not surprised Thomas that it won actually because it was mighty impressive now last week there was one young lady who was part of the business there, the bin bungee, couldn't come into us. But she's with you today, Alana Tinley. Will you put her on the phone, please? Alana, how are you? I didn't meet you here in studio last week, but we have you now. Isn't this just great that we have had everybody from the company with us at this stage? How are you feeling today? Oh, we're absolutely over the moon. Like, we're just thrilled to get to represent Loud. Like, it's such a good opportunity for us. And we're just delighted. Like, it wasn't an easy uh, competition or an easy journey the whole way through. Like, there was some really fantastic other companies at the competition. So we're just absolutely delighted to have gotten this far. Like, it just shows that all your hard work really does pay off. Because now we're representing Loud in All-Ireland. Just unbelievable. What was the feeling like when it was revealed that you were the winners? Did you raise the roof? We didn't know what to do. We just sort of looked at each other in shock. Like, we weren't expecting it at all. And we just, we were over the moon. Like, we just, the five of us just looked at each other and were like, oh my God, like, we're actually going to Crow Park. Hmm. Like, it was just unbelievable. It was a great feeling. It's great to be top in your county to win the overall there. And as you said, many people love to go to Crow Park to play on the field, but you are going there for a very special reason, to represent the Wee County as well. This idea, again, is a simple one and came to fruition through one of the team's mums, was it? Yeah, it was Amy's mum. So she lives at the at the end house on a street. So anytime there was storms or high winds or anything, all the rubbish would blow to her house because it's at the end. So her mom just said, oh, I wish there was something that you could put in your bin so your rubbish wouldn't uh, like spill all out and go flying down the street. And that's just, Amy just came, into this, came in with this idea to us and then we came up with this bin bungee. It was just like a simple story, like, like, it was just so random, and we just mm. got lucky, I suppose, and we just put the company together, and here we are now. Like, it just all came together for us. Yeah, it's brilliant, and, you know, it does provide a solution, which is the great thing about it, because windy weather, bins full, needing to keep the lid tight, rubbish all over the place, you have to go out and gather it up again. You know, you have the uh, the idea of uh, rubbish, let me say that again, you have the whole scenario of rubbish blowing all over the place and dogs and cats and everything at bins. You know the story exactly. yourself. Exactly, mm. yeah, exactly. It's great, great news, so it is. And again, I say, I'm thrilled for all of you. I had that feeling last week that you were onto something special. And this can really go places from here. You understand that now, being in the final? Yeah, we have plans now. So we're going to hopefully set up a website and 
maybe like PayPal, so people can aren't just we're not dealing with the cash, so they can pay straight to the account. So our main aim now between now and Crow Park is just to increase our sales. We just need to get more people involved in it, and we have now had people in contact with us from like different places, like even different counties, like Dublin and stuff, looking for them. So hopefully that will spread our sales to all over Ireland, not just in our area. If you get me. So Absolutely. And make sure it's yours. This is your idea. Protect it, mind it. I'm sure you're thinking about that already. Yeah, we have that sorted already. <laughs> good women yourselves. That's fantastic. And it is five girls, isn't it, on the team? Yes. Yeah, there's the five girls. Yeah. Name them. Tell me them, all their names again. So it's Amy Ward, Sarah Weiss, Kira Sharkey, Foster Rosmita, and. Alana Tinley. That is you that we're talking to today. Yeah. <laughs> Alana, pass on my congratulations to the rest of them. I'm thrilled for you and we'll be following you closely now to the finals in Croke Park later on in the year. But Bin Bungie is here and is big business. Congratulations to you all. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks a million for having me. Thanks. What a great local success story that is. And we wish them well in Croke Park at the national final finals. Kalosh de Reach, there's really some fantastic entrepreneurs in that school. Now lots of reaction to my uh, chat a few moments ago with Shane Healy and many people wishing him well uh, I'm paraphrasing what a remarkable story so many people are saying uh, this afternoon to us uh, and I do agree with you Vera there certainly is a book, there has to be a book in that man Lu- uh, Louise, incredible, incredible it really touched you I know didn't it? Oh I'm in bits, what an amazing story from such mm. sadness to such success mm. and, and he's just fantastic man Oh, to be able to tell it what he's achieved imagine not taking up running till 22 and getting to the Olympic Games and he's a world record holder now and look at him he's as fit as a fiddle but the big thing is his mother and his sister it's with him every single day and somebody would just whatsapped in Jerry saying what a a story that brave man has please God he will find his mother and sister soon I I pray that it happens I I really do because it would be just such solace and consolation to Shane and the rest of the family as well yes I will mention it again the name of the song at the end of the interview with Father Michael Cusack is Kindred Spirits it's written by Phil Coulter brilliant again from Phil he's just unbelievable isn't he and song today on Late Lunch by Malachi Kush Shane Healy my word he continues to bring lots of comment from you this afternoon what a man indeed let me read some coming to us by WhatsApp today Shane Healy had me in tears listening to his story was incredible he definitely has a book in him I'm going to pray that he gets news of his mum and sister he's an inspiration to all to follow their dream thank you indeed for that one another one what an incredible man Shane Healy turned out to be against the odds after all his childhood disappointments as I was listening to him I was picturing him as a little four-year-old that I wanted to just hug. Oh, isn't that just lovely? The tears were flowing throughout that interview, Jerry. Thanks indeed for those lovely comments today. Let's go back to something we were talking about yesterday on Late Lunch. Frog spawn. Yes, indeed, it is the season when frogs are croaking and mating and spawning. And we had lots of mead. It's frog spawning and not a peep from the Wee County, even though I tried to move Dunsany into Louth from County Mead yesterday. 
But at last, we have news of frog spawn in County Loud. Jerry says Pat McKenna, there has been frog spawn in Feedwood at Mount Pleasant, just north of Dundalk, for the last two weeks. Oh, Pat, you've made my day. Another one's come in from Anna Marie Rafferty. Hello to you this afternoon. Frog spawn at Sleeve Gullion last week, Jerry. That's just north of uh, Dundalk, South Armagh, that area there. Thanks indeed, Anna, for letting us know that as well. Now, as you know, each month on Late Lunch, we are going to be nominating an unsung hero. And what we do is, just after the month concerned, we reveal who that person is. So the second one this year for 2019 will be revealed after the break on Late Lunch for the month of February. And we're going to have a chat in a few moments with the person nominating the unsung hero. All this year on Late Launch, we're bringing you one a month, an unsung hero. Yes, it's the LMFM Unsung Hero Award, sponsored by Home Instead Senior Care. And remember, if you'd like to become a Home Instead caregiver, check them out on homeinstead.ie. Our second unsung hero for this year. And remember, at the end of the year, they'll all be honoured at a dinner and they'll receive their awards as well then. To tell us who she believes should be the recipient for the month of February, I'm joined on the line by Nicola McDonnell. Afternoon, Nicola. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thanks very much for taking our call and making the nomination. Who would you like to put forward for the award this time round? Peter Monaghan. Why Peter Monaghan? Um, well, where do I start? Um, you probably hear it all the time about how the great work volunteers do, which they do. But uh, Peter is just outstanding. We wouldn't uh, have a social club for people with disabilities every Wednesday for two hours without Peter. Now, this club you have, what's it called? Warriors on Wheels. I love it. Who came up with that name? <laughs> Um, well, the club started five years ago this year and it was kind of five to seven members came together and um, we wanted to do something in the evening time because there was nothing for us to do in Drogheda and uh, we started, um, I think, the first uh, kettlebell class for people with disabilities in Ireland and together we came up with the name with our instructor in Kieran McDonald, Warriors on Wheels. And Peter Monaghan has been there from the start, which he, yeah? Yes, he has uh, helped myself and Owen Mullen set up the club. He's been there from day one. He worked with the IWA at the time, but he's now retired three years and five years and he's still with us. And he never misses, never lets you down? Never lets us down. He brings us on social nights out every eight to 12 weeks, where one time he was actually going to miss a family wedding to come and bring us on a Friday night, only for I got someone else. But he was going to leave that wedding to bring us out on our social night in Dundalk Stadium, Dog Stadium. Isn't that commitment personified? Commitment. Oh, yeah. my word, it really is. So you meet uh, on which night of the week again? It's a Wednesday evening we meet. For two hours from six to eight. You mentioned the kettlebells. What else do you do? Well, from six to quarter seven, Peter would um, get us our cup of tea and if anyone wants a biscuit. And there's eight of us that get together and we catch up what we did on the last week. And then Peter will come with his stories because Peter still works full time as well. And we have a chat and a catch up and a bit of crack. And then Peter goes down at quarter to seven. Now, Peter is 67 and he uh, sets up the room. So he's lifting heavy weights because we have one member who's very strong. Uh, Martin Murphy, I had him on there a couple of weeks ago and he would lift the heavy weights so Peter gets it out of the storeroom all the weights sets up the machines 
and we go down then at 7 to 8 and we take part in either boxercise, TRX training, circuit training and kettlebells. This is obviously a significant outlet for you guys in your lives. So fundamental, so fundamental for us, so it is. And you feel that Peter just gets on with it, has been getting on with it, and doesn't look for the limelight or recognition or anything. Is he that sort of man? He is, yeah, yeah, a gentleman, gentleman. So you feel he'd be a worthy recipient of our unsung hero this month? Definitely, he deserves so much. Well, he is. Peter Monaghan, congratulations. You are the LMFM Home Instead Senior Care Unsung Hero for the month of February. You will be invited to a lovely dinner at the end of the year and presented with your award as well. So, Nicola, your nomination has come up, Trumps. Oh, brilliant. Thank you very much. He'll be delighted. Now, you can pass on the word from I hope he'll hear this anyway and let him know that this is the situation. You are a wheelchair user, of course, yourself, and you're a very active woman, I know, and your your life is really full with all the activities you undertake. But getting round and mobility, is it still an issue in, in, in places and with things you like to do, Nicola? It is. It's still a big issue, yes, with um, with the footpaths and stuff being needed to be upgraded. But we do have great working relationship with the Loud County Council and the local traffic wardens. We did a back and five campaign last year. It's a national campaign with IWA and we've done it in June. And um, there has been progress from it with the misuse of uh, disability parking permits and with enforcement from the traffic wardens. They've been excellent, so they have. Mm, So that was a big issue when you'd come along in your car, you'd find somebody in the disabled space, no sticker or anything taken up. Mm. Just saying, this is the hashtag, back in five minutes, I'm only running into the shop. But, but we want people to realise five minutes to them is nothing but five minutes to a person with a disability takes away their independence. I understand that and you put it so well. Regarding access to buildings and going out socially and things like that, how is the, the, the area today for, for, for that for you? Well, it's not it's not great. There's loads of improvements needed. Uh, there's, I could name many places, but um, with uh, the IWA Access Group, uh, where we meet every couple of months, and we're always fighting and campaigning to try and make things better for people with disabilities, and that's every disability. It's not just the physical; it's sensory, hearing, intellectual. You know, we just have to keep fighting. Mm. And you, uh, you have a full and I mentioned there active type of uh, life. W- what's the best thing you're, you're involved in? Now we have to say Peter, of course, today and this oh, uh, Warriors on Wheels every Wednesday. But other things you enjoy, like what? Well, I work with the IWA uh, two days a week. I'm I'm involved with Disability Loud, which covers all loud with access and different things. And um, I'm involved with uh, the Drogheda Disability Alliance group with Sabrina Kearns and that. So I'd be involved yeah. with a lot and just campaigning the whole time and just trying to get equal rights for people with a disability. And you love that. That's your passion I in your it. life. Yes, mm, yes. Yes, you're a great woman. You you really are. Anyway, back to the man in question today, Peter Monaghan. Congratulations, Peter. You are our unsung hero on LMFM radio this afternoon. We'll be in touch to make all the arrangements. And Nicola McDonnell and the crew of uh, Warriors on Wheels are only delighted to nominate you. Nicola, thank you so much for nominating Peter. And we congratulate you, your group and Peter again this afternoon. Okay, Jerry, thanks a million. Thanks, thanks for taking our call. Take care of yourself, Nicola. Okay, God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye.
look inside your heart You don't have to be afraid Of what you are There's an answer If you're reaching to your soul And the sorrow that you know Will melt away strength to carry on and you cast your fears aside and you know you can't survive so when you feel like hope is gone look inside you and be strong and you'll finally see the truth that a hero Yes, Mariah Carey uh, finishing off our late lunch this uh, Wednesday afternoon with Hero and, of course, Miss Carey coming to Ireland later this year. And we dedicate that song to Peter Monaghan, who's our unsung hero on late lunch, LMFM Radio, and, of course, sponsored by Home Instead Care. And uh, check them out on homeinstead.ie. That's Home Instead Senior Care, uh, homeinstead.ie. And we will have another unsung hero for you to cover off the present month, the month of March. So if you'd like to nominate, we'll have 12 in the year. Do you know somebody who is an unsung hero and you want to put them forward for recognition here on LMFM Radio? We want to hear from you and we have lots of people who've been in touch and if you've been in touch with somebody, they're in the mix, I promise you, but we always welcome new nominations. How do you nominate? Go on to lmfm.ie forward slash unsung heroes and you can make your nomination there. lmfm.ie forward slash unsung heroes. If you want to pick up the phone, give us a shout 1850 Just leave your number and details there and we'll take it on from there as well. Uh, what a day it's been on the show. Uh, really enjoyed this afternoon. Hope you did too. We'll be back with Late Lunch again tomorrow afternoon from half past one with another lineup of fine guests and chat for you. And don't forget, we're all gearing up here on LMFM for International Women's Day on Friday. And on Late Lunch, we are honouring a very, very special woman this year. We'll have Women With Opinions as well joining us on uh, the day on Friday to talk about issues pertaining to women on International National Women's Day. And in a little twist, we'll be hearing some, from some well-known men about some of the women that sh- have shaped their lives. And I'm really looking forward to that as well on Friday. That's it on this Ash Wednesday. Thank you for joining us on the show. Eddie's coming next with The Drive. Half one tomorrow for another Late Lunch. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Test drive the all-new fully electric Renault Zoe and the all-new Renault 1.3 petrol Kajar today. With finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.